The Westland Sea King was a staple piece of the British coast during its service of nearly 50 years with the Royal Navy and Royal Air Force. Around the world, it's been the workhorse for anti-submarine operations, presidential and troop transport. I'm Alex and this is the history of the Sea King coming up on Aircraft Grade. When I was younger, every year my family went to Weymouth, a British seaside town in Dorset, for the Easter break. An icon of those trips was the Sea King. It has a soft spot in my heart. The iconic red and grey liveried Royal Navy search and rescue HAR5 Sea King would fill the skies. Its thumping Rolls-Royce Gnome engines could be heard from miles away. Occasionally, the typical grey and red Royal Navy Sea King would be instead replaced by its bright yellow Air Force compatriot. Even if I didn't have these fond memories, the Sea King would still be an incredible helicopter, in my opinion. Its versatility could not be underappreciated. Its impressive performance in a naval environment while still being practical for land operations is something to be admired. The Sea King is also unique in the way it was manufactured. The Westland version, operated by the Royal Navy, RAF and other nations, was built under licence and modified from the American Sikorsky S-61. This allowed the British forces to tailor their Sea Kings to a better spec for their needs, boosting its capabilities. Today we cover the development, evolution and service of one of the world's most quintessential helicopters. The end of World War II saw an end to some of the most horrific war crimes ever seen, but the end of the Nazi regime brought a new threat. Ideological and geopolitical tensions began to arise between the United States and the Soviet Union and their accompanying nations, bringing the start of the Cold War. A period of over 40 years of proxy wars, psychological warfare, espionage campaigns and technological competitions between the two superpowers. The two sides faced mutually assured destruction, discouraging preemptive attacks. So the Soviets showed their military prowess by building a large and diverse fleet of submarines, at one point operating in excess of 200 during the Cold War. The US Navy's fleet of Sikorsky S-58 anti-submarine warfare aircraft were no longer up to the task. The equipment on board was becoming outdated and much of the design philosophy was becoming obsolete. The singular piston engine was underpowered and the anti-submarine technology out of date. The placement of the piston engine in the S-58 was an issue too. It was mounted in the nose of the rotorcraft, underneath and in front of the cockpit. The choice of placement wasted precious interior space to accommodate the required sensors, equipment and weaponry. The cockpit had to be moved above the cabin as a result of the aircraft's front engine mounting. This meant that the pilots were sealed off from the cabin crew this made communication more difficult than necessary. In my opinion, the US Navy knew they would need a more powerful and capable helicopter if they wanted to prevent the Soviet threat. The new helicopter would need to build on the weaknesses of the aircraft it would be replacing. It would need to be able to combine the hunter function, that is tracking down militants' enemy submarines, and the killer function, destroying the submarine and the threat in one airframe. These roles had previously been carried out by two separate helicopters as they were not powerful enough to carry both radar and torpedoes. As a result, the US Navy were given the go-ahead to commission a new aircraft program. 
the aircraft would also need to be an all-weather helicopter with dunking sonar equipment, a technology that uses directional sound waves to detect vessels under or on the surface of the water, the ability to be able to carry up to 380 kilograms of offensive weapons, and have an impressive mission endurance of four hours. The Navy approached Sikorsky and they were awarded the project on the 23rd of September 1957. The new helicopter would also be a big step in military aircraft development in the US. Instead of enlisting the help of different manufacturers to produce the various onboard systems necessary for the aircraft's safe operation, the Navy would instead obtain Sikorsky's new airframe through their new weapon system concept. This means that the Navy would give Sikorsky the responsibility of developing not only the design and production of the new airframe, but also the development of all onboard equipment. This means Sikorsky would develop the sonar, navigational, support equipment and electronic device suite for what would eventually become the Sea King, or known as the SH-3 in military service, or the S-61 in civilian use. The Sea King was designed for naval service through and through. This was evident in the inclusion of a fully amphibious design. The aircraft featured an all-metal, semi-monocoque hull similar to that of a boat. This meant that it had the ability to conduct water landings, with its doors being completely watertight, and the extended ability to stay floating on the surface for prolonged periods of time. The aircraft also featured deployable airbags to counteract its propensity to pitch and roll when conducting such operations. Aircraft carrier operations also required the S-61 to be able to operate and withstand adverse weather conditions. The Sea King was able to do this by incorporating a new engine technology, turboshafts, and installing two of them. These were more reliable and far more powerful than their preceding piston engines, allowing them to carry a higher payload. This meant that if it lost an engine, it could continue to fly, a feature that is incredibly important for a naval aircraft where there are little opportunities for an emergency landing. The Sea King was a pioneer anti-submarine warfare helicopter because of its inclusion of this relatively new engine technology. Sikorsky chose to use the General Electric T-58GE-8B, which could generate an industry-leading 1250 shaft horsepower per engine. Turboshaft engines are a form of gas turbine to produce shaft power which is mechanical power moved from one rotating element to another rather than jet thrust. The engine is made up of two major parts, a gas generator and power section. The gas generator is constructed by a compressor, a series of combustion chambers, fuel nozzles and one or more stages of a turbine. The power section consists of more turbine stages, a gear reduction system and an exhaust system. The power section is driven by the hot gases created in the gas generator, and in most engines, these two sections are mechanically separated so they can rotate at varying speeds. This free power turbine design is incredibly useful as it allows the engine to have multiple ratio transmissions and clutches without the additional weight penalty. In essence, turboshafts are incredibly similar to turbojets, but are benefited by the addition of an expanded turbine expansion, so heat energy can be extracted from the exhaust system and converted into additional shaft power. This technology was chosen over piston engines, as they are better suited for applications requiring sustained high power output, high reliability, a small size and lightweight platform, 
like that of what is required in helicopters or tanks. It wouldn't be good if a helicopter engine shut down due to engine load restraints. The T-58 engines drove the main rotor, which has the ability to articulate and fold its five interchangeable blades powered by hydraulic actuators. The tail section could also fold automatically for storage on board ships. The prototype for the Sea King was given a Sikorsky product name HSS-2, and this was done to imply commonality to the previous HSS-1, the aforementioned S-58, its predecessor. This was done primarily to settle any potential political objections that could arise from spending copious amounts of cash on an entirely new rotary wing aircraft. Ten prototypes were developed, the first of which flew in March 1959. The Navy first tested the aircraft in early 1961 when a pair were stationed on board the late Chaplin aircraft carrier. These trials tested everything the Sea King was built for, and high wind takeoff tests were performed in winds of up to 50 miles an hour in mid 1961. Following the successful completion of the suitability trials, the first HSS 2 was formally accepted by the US Navy, whereby it was redesignated the SH 3A Sea King. As soon as it entered service, it was like nothing seen before. It was the world's largest amphibious helicopter and the first all-weather rotorcraft to enter service with the Navy. The Sea King was first put into operations as an anti-submarine warfare vehicle to detect and track Soviet submarines. That makes sense, considering that was the primary task it was designed for. During these operations, the Sea King would be operated by a four-man crew, a pilot and co-pilot flying the aircraft, and two aircrew stationed in the main cabin. For anti-submarine missions, they would operate sensors and interpret the data produced, but their jobs frequently changed depending on the deployment. These missions necessitated the aircraft to be equipped with four torpedoes or four depth charges. The Sea Kings could also be fitted with one of the AQS-13 models of dipping sonar powered by specialised computers. These multi-role operations were truly revolutionary. The Sea King's ability to play both the hunter and killer reduced the number of crew required, the number of aircraft, and was more efficient than its preceding S-58. Much like the Lockheed C-130 we talked about in our last episode, the Sea King proved incredibly useful in the Vietnam War. After being equipped with self-sealing fuel tanks, multiple machine guns and heavy armour, the SH-3s would be sent to rescue the crews of downed aircraft over sea or land. The Sea King was chosen for this role since it had an impressive range of 620 miles and the safety net of two engines. The Sea King's above-average search and rescue performance, both in active warfare and peacetime, would be used extensively later in its lifetime, but we'll get on to that later. A similar role was carried out by the SH-3s when they were assigned near their respective carriers as a plane guard ready to rescue any crew who may crash during takeoff or landing. Such a role is required due to the challenging nature of aircraft carrier operations. If a pilot misses the runway on arrival, they'll end up in the ocean. Likewise, if there is an issue on takeoff, a trip into the ocean is very likely. However, in my opinion, the most synonymous use for the Sea Kings was part of the US Marine Corps operations. They equipped some of their Sea Kings to be used as the official helicopters of the President of the United States. The callsign Marine One was used when the President occupied one of these aircraft. 
The Sea Kings are also used to retrieve the manned space capsules for Apollo Mission 8 and 10 to 13. I think this is all you need to know about the versatility of this aircraft. Its design was so well considered that it could perform a wide variety of roles effortlessly. Much like a lot of aircraft, the SH-3A was adapted and improved multiple times to improve its versatility and upgrade its equipment as it became outdated. As a result of this, the SH-3A was replaced by the SH-3D from 1966 onwards. T-58 GE-10 turboshafts replaced the older 8B variants for around an extra 200 shaft horsepower. The electrical systems were also upgraded with new sensors that boosted its operational capabilities as an anti-submarine platform. The Sea King's excellent design proved successful in military operations. Because of this, Sikorsky began receiving demand for the type from civilian operators. So they developed a civilian spec Sea King. The civil, non-amphibious version was designated the Sikorsky S61L. The aircraft proved useful mainly for oil rig operators who needed to transport large teams of workers from the mainland to offshore plants. The Sea King's dual engine design, high payload capability and 30 passenger capacity made it the perfect choice. But where does Westland come into this? Well, Westland, along with other international manufacturers, decided to extend their long-standing license agreement with Sikorsky to gain licensing to build the Sea King, a deal Westland had taken advantage of in the past with the development of the Westland Wessex, another iconic British Forces helicopter based on the S-58, the aircraft the Sea King was designed to replace. For their next helicopter, Westland extended their agreement with Sikorsky and gained rights to manufacture and produce their own Sea King in 1959. I think it's a common misconception that Westland copied the SH-3 precisely, but in reality, the Westland Sea King was vastly different to the Sikorsky Sea King. It was developed independently by Westland. The first major change in the British design is that a significant share of the components in the aircraft were sourced from British suppliers. The General Electric T-58 engines were replaced by the British derivative of the type, the Rolls-Royce Gnome engines. British designed and made anti-submarine warfare technology was installed and an automatic flight control system was also installed. In other aspects, the Westland Seeking is very different from Sikorsky's despite its similar appearance. The main reason for the vastly different design of the British model is it was needed for different operations and would be operated accordingly. The US Navy Seekings, for example, would be used under the tactical control of the aircraft carrier it was operated from. The Royal Navy didn't operate this way. Instead, they wanted their Seekings to have far more autonomy, capable of operating alone or coordinating with other aircraft and ships. Naturally, differences in operational uses led to different requirement for crew arrangement, with the observer controlling operations, not the pilot for example. Search radars were also added to add to the aircraft's operational flexibility. Development began for the Westland variant in 1966, when the Royal Navy selected the Sea King to replace their ageing Wessexes for anti-submarine warfare tasks, choosing to order 60 Sea Kings in June. Sikorsky proceeded to build the Westland prototype and three pre-production aircraft at their Stratford, Connecticut plant before shipping them to the UK for trials. 
The first model was fitted with the American General Electric T-58 engines found on Sikorsky's models and was first flown in October 1966 to Yeovil Airfield from the docks it arrived at. The other three aircraft were delivered by road to Yeovil where they were completed. British systems were installed and Rolls-Royce Gnome engines added. From there, Westland production began and the first Westland-built Sea King, designated the HAS-1, took flight on the 7th of May 1969. The first two helicopters were sent for trials and evaluation by Westland and the Aeroplane Armament Experimental Establishment. Further production, HAS-1s, was delivered to the Royal Navy and sent into service with the 700 Naval Air Squadron in August 1969. The first batch of Western Sea Kings built, the HAS-1s, all went to the Royal Navy as anti-submarine aircraft. They featured a five-blade rotor, a Plessy Type 195 dipping sonar, an MEL ARI 5995 search radar in a dorsal radome. 56 in total were ordered, with many later being converted to the upgraded HAS-2. I think it's fair to call the HAS-2 little more than a spec bump. It featured slightly more powerful engines, a new Type 2069 dipping sonar, plus additional avionic upgrades, including new navigation and communication equipment. In addition to the converted HAS-1s, 21 were ordered brand new. The Sea King was updated numerous times to fulfil a wide variety of roles, but the majority of these upgrades were relatively insignificant like upgraded radar, sonar or engines. However, the commando variant of the Sea King was vastly different. The commando was originally developed for the Egyptian Air Force, who wanted a Sea King with a capacity to carry up to 28 fully equipped troops. The first major change of the commando was the deletion of the aircraft's amphibious capability, so its side floats were removed and the fuselage was carried on staff sponsons. This makes sense in my opinion, as I doubt there are many oceans in the Egyptian desert. The Royal Navy also chose to operate an upgraded commando, the HC-4, which featured folding blades and first flew the type on the 26th of September 1979. The commando became an essential weapon in the Royal Navy's arsenal. Its impeccable range of 600 nautical miles without refuelling made it the perfect aircraft for troop transport during amphibious warfare operations, or in other words, warfare that uses Navy ships to project ground power or troops and air power, aircraft and weapons, onto a hostile shore. The British commandos have been used extensively in operations during the Falklands, Balkans, both Gulf Wars, Sierra Leone, Lebanon and Afghanistan, and it's fair to say the Navy got their money worth out of the aircraft. The Sea King was an essential piece of equipment during the British campaign in the Falklands, with the aircraft excelling as a troop carrier, equipment hauler, anti-submarine workhorse, and as the SAS's infiltration and extraction vehicle. They were always going to be used in the war effort, but were supposed to be operated alongside the fellow American-designed Chinook but an Argentine Exocet anti-ship missile hit the Atlantic conveyor, sinking the ship, losing three Chinooks, amongst other helicopters, and killing 12 men. This meant that the Sea Kings would have to perform more of a role than initially planned. The impressive range and passenger capacity of 27 troops made the aircraft perfect for SAS operations. The most significant of these operations, in my opinion, was when SAS teams stormed the Pebble Island Air Base on May 14th to 15th, an operation that would have been impossible without the Sea Kings. Too late to serve in the Falklands War, an early airborne warning version of the Sea King was produced. 
Some argue if it had been developed before the start of the Falklands, much of the large number of Exocet missile strikes could have been prevented. Initially two HAS-2s were chosen for modification in 1982 and had the Thorn EMI search water radar installed on a swivel arm on the fuselage. They were designated the HAS-2 AEW, with a further 8 being modified to a production standard by 1985. The Sea King saved lives in the Falklands and during its further service with the British Armed Forces, but the Sea King is also a proven lifesaver for civilians. Possibly the most famous use of the Sea King was with the HAR-3, used by the RAF and Royal Navy to perform search and rescue missions around the UK. HAR-3 was a Sea King developed for the RAF Search and Rescue Force, entering service in 1978 to replace the Westland whirlwinds that were fulfilling the same role. The search and rescue variants of the Sea Kings featured a stretched fuselage, inflatable buoyancy bags housed inside the aircraft sponsons to add additional flotation in the event of a water landing, radar warning receivers, cargo hooks and night vision goggle compatible cockpits were also added. Oh, and we can't forget the vibrant bright yellow livery that was fitted to all those Sea Kings. By 2006, 13 HAR-3 Sea Kings went operation around the UK, with two in the Falklands, providing 24-hour rescue coverage. In fact, such helicopters are in such demand that some of the Royal Navy's HAS-5 ASW Sea Kings were converted for the search and rescue roles after they left service after being replaced. The aircraft was so popular that Westland also produced special variants for the Royal Norwegian and Belgian Air Forces and the German Navy. The HR-3s had saved countless lives during their service life, and are the whole reason I even knew this aircraft existed when I was younger. It would be disingenuous to claim that the only operators of the Western Sea King were British, as this is simply not true. In fact, in 1974, Australia became a big customer for the Westland Sea King, procuring 12 Mark 50s, equivalent to the HAS-2s, to be used as the Royal Australian Navy's new ASW helicopter, replacing their fleet of Westland Wessexes. The Australian Mark 50s were very similar to the British equivalent, but featured a slightly different set of avionics. The RAN opted to use the American Bendix ASQ-3A dipping sonar over the British-used Plessy sonar. More powerful engines were also installed, and the Sea King was instrumental in the Australian campaign during the 2003 Iraq War, performing humanitarian aid missions. Australian Sea Kings were also used extensively during the Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami in 2004, and the 2010 and 2011 Queensland floods, one of their last major missions. Germany and Norway are also big Sea King operators, ordering 22 and 12 respectively. Germany procured their Sea Kings as a replacement for the Grumman Albatross flying boat to be used for search and rescue. They featured a similar loadout to combat-ready Sea Kings, but ditched the sonar. Currently, they operate a wide variety of roles, including search and rescue, transport, flying humanitarian aid, surveillance and reconnaissance. Norway also operate their Sea Kings for search and rescue missions, as well as being used as air ambulances. They were well used. In 1997, for example, the Sea Kings flew 237 search and rescue and 747 air ambulance missions for Norway.
I'd like to end this podcast with some good news about the future of the Westland Sea King, but unfortunately I can bring no such news. In the UK, the last remaining Sea King in service with the Royal Navy was retired in 2018, the Navy choosing to replace the type with a newer and more technologically advanced Augusta Westland AW101 Merlin as their go-to ASW aircraft. The RAF also retired all their remaining Sea Kings after disbandment of the RAF Search and Rescue Force beginning in 2013. All search and rescue operations around the UK are now operated by a private operator, Bristow Helicopters Limited, who fly a fleet of Augusta Westland AW189s and Sikorsky S92s from 10 locations around the UK. Similarly, in 2011, Australia chose to retire their Sea Kings, replacing the type with the NH Industries NH90, a consortium-led project to build a battlefield-capable naval helicopter with manufacturers Airbus, Leonardo and Fokker aerostructures. Germany have also chosen the same replacement for their Sea Kings. Norway, however, will replace theirs with the Merlin. There are still at least 70 Westland Sea Kings active across the world, with six operators. But I would be lying to you if I said they've got a long future ahead of them. The truth of the matter is, there are newer, more technologically advanced helicopters now available that outperform the Sea King in almost every way imaginable. It's a shame really, it truly is a fantastic aircraft. So that's it, the history of the Westland Sea King. You've been listening to Aircraft Grade, the aviation podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Aircraft Grade, where we post supplementary podcast content. I've been Alex, goodbye.